Welcome back to Film Posers for Boricuas, ranting, raving, and reviewing cinema. Today, we'll be talking about the good for her cinematic universe, and our moderator will be Ana Sofia. Take it away. So, I don't know about you guys, but the first time that I heard about the good for her universe was when they started to put it on Twitter, like, all together. Like, all together, the different characters from, like, a huge amount of variety of films, and they started to quote, you know, good for her, or good for her cinematic universe. And... Yeah, yeah, real quick, especially I the images you're mentioning, I remember that it was always the same shot, that when a film ended, you know, there's a specific moment where the, prote- mm-hmm. the female protagonist looks at the screen, like, at the end of Midsommar, and... Invisible Man. Gone Girl. Yeah, and Gone Girl, like the first on the top of my head. And that became like the thing. So whenever a film you saw that, you were like, good for her. So good for her. if you think about it, like it started out as a trend um, from Twitter. And you could say that it slowly began as a... You could say that it has slowly become a subgenre of film if you think about it. Now... What exactly defines the good for her universe? Like, for me, it's about a female character that actually has a very satisfying transformation. And despite all the odds, it reaches their goal. So, to start off, how do you guys define the good for her universe? So, I feel there are many aspects where you could tackle this good for her universe as a definition. I see it as cinema where you see mainly uh, women do things they wouldn't be expected to normally do, no matter how out of character or violent their motives could be. It's where you see women who have had enough and how, with how they're being treated, fight back and hopefully reach their goal at the end. And you feel satisfaction because at the end, you knew that even if it felt wrong at one moment, you knew that their main motive felt right there. So for me, it started off as a meme. At least that's how I first started seeing it, which was that Arrested Development meme um, with the good for her moment. But because usually people would use that image. Even I have that photo saved on my phone (laughs) as a favorite, so I can use it instantly for those kinds of moments and for those kinds of films. But um, there are definitely certain characteristics attributed to the good-for-her universe films that have repeated themselves in a sort of pattern, which you can tell by what I mentioned earlier, like when they look at the camera or when they have that single moment where they realize what they have done or what they have become. Um, I often attribute it more to thriller, suspense, and horror films, or any form where the character is either getting away with a crime, or she is, how you say, she's doing something that is usually not expected from women and is able to get away with it. But not something, for example, because uh, some people would say Legally Blonde is part of it, and she does get away with certain... She defies aspects that are attributed to women, especially for her, that she was seen as a specific stereotype, and she goes past that. So good for her for that. But I like to stick more to, again, thrillers and suspense and horror films, because they dive a little bit deeper into the psyche of a woman 
venturing into these different moments where you try to go after something you really want, but you end up losing something important from yourself in the process. So for me, that is what I look for a good for her film. And that is what I consider to be part of the good for her universe. I completely agree. (laughs) (laughs) I want drama. I want suspense. I want psychology. (laughs) You just sprinkle in some philosophy and existentialism. <laughs> yes, yeah, sp- sprinkle in some existentialism if you want to. Existentialism for a little razzle dazzle. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Honestly, if the good for her universe were to have like a main song, there would be two options, both by Taylor Swift. One from Reputation called Don't Blame Me. And the other is from exactly. Evermore, Nobody yeah. No Crime. I get it. Yeah, also another film, another another film, another song I often attribute to the Good For Her universe is, if you haven't listened to it, it's Nightmare by Halsey. Dang. That, for me, I put it yes. on, I immediately want to break stuff. <laughs> and I'm like, good for her. <laughs> Gaudia, that's it's what empowering. we do define as Good For Her universe. So, for me, the key for a Good For Her movie is that it has to make me question my morals. Absolutely. Yeah. Like, it has to be that the main character Mm -hmm. did something that you feel that morally it isn't right. But you know what? Good for her. I support that. You know, in so many of the good for her films that are considered in the universe, in this universe, and you know, the, the most popular ones like Gone Girl, Invisible Man, they end with murder. Spoiler alert. But, and, you know what? I condone those murders. Good for her. <laughs> good for her. You know, good for her. Honestly, okay. we're bad at, <laughs> really bad at nine. We were like, you know what? We forgive you, okay? I, I did not see that, girl. I will be your alibi. You were with me the entire night. We were getting a coffee in the corner. We, we, are, we are all Estee's sister in this scenario. <laughs> she was with exactly. me, bro. <laughs> she was with me. Baby. <laughs> they think she did it, but they just can't. And then prove when they, they it. the police comes to investigate, they they see that oh, you were just watching How to Get Away with Murder. Yeah, it's a great show. Have you seen Viola Davis? Hello, yes. Queen. But yeah, to me that is the key. And like Josie said, it it tends to be better with you know thrillers and horror films because those are the types of movies where these types of scenarios tend to happen the most. So I agree with Josie that those are mostly the genres that make up the good for her cinematic universe. You know, there are a few exceptions like Knives Out because that's kind of like also a comedy-ish. But they tend to most of them be thrillers and all of that. Yeah, I include Knives Out because... She does lose a bit of the warmness that she had at the beginning. And mm-hmm. I ultimately want them to lose something because we, I mean, if you go through what they go through, like another example, Promising Young Woman, which I'm not going to go into spoilers, but just giving an idea how she goes through so much and she does end up losing something important to her to gain what she wanted. So I, mm-hmm. I need that to be in a good for her film or else I will not yeah. include it because as Gabriella said, which I found it like down to the point, nail on the head. Um, I want to question my morals because most of the time you do agree with their actions, but you know that they're wrong. Yeah. 
like make me question yeah. my morals you make me question my morals and you made me want to be your alibi for murder no i was just gonna say like characters yeah. from like gone girl probably young woman they're like like man i know you're doing illegal stuff but you know what i, I don't care <laughs> like come on do you ever watch gone girl and be like yo this is crazy i would have called the police no i take notes <laughs> It's like, hold on, can so I pause that's this TED talk? One because at least the first time I watched it, and I've only seen it one time, so I don't know why I had to specify that. Anyways, um, I did not agree with her or anything, but at the same time, I was like, huh, I won't say a thing. If I see you, I'll salute you. But I remember you said, correct me if I'm wrong, but you said that you didn't agree with her because she was doing that for her mediocre husband, like she, that she deserved better. Why go through all that effort for such a mediocre white man? Because I think the thing about Gone Girl that I think what you're referring to, if you haven't seen Gone Girl, well, I'm sorry, we're going to spoil it. <laughs> Spoilers ahead. Spoilers Just ahead. Fast forward a few seconds. The thing, I think that what, why Josie said that she wouldn't do that is because at the end, she does all that so that he stays with her. That I think... Had it been like, you know, she ended up killing him or sending him to jail, it would have been a much better. Good for her, for Josie. We can get into this later because I think we're jumping to the second question. So I'll let Anna take over. Okay. Okay. Because I have a response for that. (laughs) No. So if you think about it, most of these characters go through or overcome a certain trauma to reach their desired goal. But it doesn't mean the character's ending is specifically viewed as a happy one. Like, a very great example that we all know is Danny from Midsummer. So, my question for you guys is, now why is us as an audience root for these characters despite the ending is not conventionally a happy one? Oh, God. I'm still (laughs) trying to recover from Midsummer. I'm still going to therapy. Um... So I feel the audiences will root for them because you want to see them succeed. You want to see them make it to the end and have that kind of like catharsis closure. Even if it's from like a messed up point of view from someone's like POV, it's that closure. You have characters that have been tricked, wronged, abused, and you want them to not only not have to take it anymore. You want them to exact their revenge. You know, these women... They aren't helpless. They're powerful. They take fate into their own hands and they deliver the consequences personally. And I feel that can be so empowering when done correctly. And most of the time it is. When it's a really good, good for her film, you feel empowered because yes, maybe the motive isn't what you would do in a situation, but it empowers you to know she didn't take it and neither do I. Uh, I referring to a woman in this scenario. And... Honestly, that makes the audience kind of feel good, even if the ending is not what we desire or what's expected. You kind of just leave being like, you know what? I'm kind of inspired because you you made some points. Yeah, because the thing with Danny is that you don't you don't have to agree with the good for her film to admire it or accept it into the universe. But uh, for me, it actually started with Midsommar that I started to see these patterns and see these kinds of films with that iconic ending where she stares at the camera and she's an entirely different person. And for me, it's it was seeing how she went from this person that was hurting to finally finding happiness in herself in such a disturbing way. 
Which is what leads again to what Gabriela said. You question your morals watching it because you want to be happy for her because she found that sort of joy, quote unquote, because we don't actually know if she's genuinely happy. We just see the change in her face. And it just leads to this questioning of what exactly are we rooting for? Because what exactly does she gain? Sure. Like, again, we can't prove that she's happy. But she does achieve like some yeah, kind of me, cathartic ending. Yeah, like the that character to me, reaches Midsommar a full is very cathartic mm-hmm. because if you think about it, you know, obviously Danny loses her family, and the only person she has left is her boyfriend mm-hmm. from that life that she had. You know, she was in college and all of that. He was the only person left, and so by the end, you know, she realizes how poorly she was being treated by mm-hmm. him and after he dies he is like used as the sacrifice she's like i think it's more like she's free from that life like he was the last link to that pain that she had like she was she no longer had any of that that linked her to that horrible thing that had happened to the her. evil has been defeated <laughs> exactly <laughs> And so she smiles, and mm-hmm. it's kind of like, yeah, like Juan said, it's a, cathar- a catharsis mm-hmm. for her. And you go, good for her. Yeah, I feel that for the, uh, us as an audience, we kind of sympathize with Danny because we feel just like her, like the relief that she's finally like mm-hmm. happy in a way, and she's released from despair also. Because, like, her life mm-hmm. wasn't that great. Yeah. And in that moment, she felt free. I remember when the Midsommar script was released, like, the final words of the script specify that it is terrifying, but it is also beautiful when she smiles. Mm-hmm. And that's the point of it, because you're terrified at what she has done, but it's also beautiful to see her finally be released and kind of, like, feel free. Mm-hmm at the same time but yeah again it questions your morals that's the point because at the end of it it's a liberation from toxic relationship so good for her (laughs) yeah i i understand the controversy when it comes to danny but i feel like that is the point of it that is the point of the good for her universe you it's not supposed to be a happy ending it's just supposed to be one that they reach a catharsis that they have been looking for at the beginning. And that's why we're like, good for her. But there has Mm -hmm. to be a catch to it. There has to be something that they've lost. Like, let's quote Wonder Woman 1984, the monkey's paw. (laughs) Everything (sighs) comes with a price and you can't get something that way. Because again, these women are committing crimes or there's murder involved or something along those lines. Mm -hmm. And there is a kind of karmic balance that needs to be set so that's another aspect that I attribute to a good for her film there has to be a karmic balance there has to be karma so while you know let's just say that in a good for her movie like it's not a specific one it's just like a hypothetical scenario let's just say that they're like she killed her abusive husband and you're like good for her and, you know, in the future, she manages to live, like, a normal life. but And, like, nothing else bad happens to her. But she still carries the weight of that, of that in her shoulders, even if no one else knows. So I don't think that it could be, like, 
you know, she gets some something else happens to her. It's just that she lives up with her I, in her conscience. Yeah, but mm-hmm. I feel that some of the characters, like these are characters, are so compelling, and at the same time, like they would hold so much trauma that obviously they wanted to release it one way or another, and they got nothing else to lose, like Danny. Like, she mm-hmm. lost her whole family. She yeah. lost her toxic relationship, at least. And she was like, you know what? I got nothing else to lose. And that's what happens to, like, most of the characters that are in the good-for-her universe. So, following up with the question, I think that we also like the fact that the ending isn't a happy one because we understand that life isn't about happy endings. Most of the time, we're just looking for justice, and sometimes justice for these situations in these films are not conventional. That's actually an interesting point you bring up. Uh, makes me want to ask a question to the group. Uh, when it comes to audiences' reactions to the ending, it's very crucial to determine its success. And like Gabriela said, with Promising Young Woman, the ending is divisive, and not everyone's happy with the ending of these Good For Her Universe films. So do you feel an ending for these films has to be divisive? to get its point across? Or do you feel no matter what, whether the ending is divisive or not, it will always Every have its ending Especially in the Good yeah. For Her universe, because if you look at us, it's pretty divisive. If you look at Midsommar, it's it's the reason, more or less, why we're doing this episode, because there were questions brought up about whether it should be included in the Good For Her universe. And people thinking, because the thing is that you can't, there is no equivalence between good for her and girl power. It's not about girl power. That is not what we're going for. We're just going for Mm -hmm. a moment where there is a catharsis in a character that has been used and abused by the system. That is all, that's all we want to see. And we want to see that moral dilemma Mm -hmm. when you confront that problem and when you try to overcome it and what are the repercussions to that that is all we want to see again it's not about girl power (laughs) no it's not i feel that it's most like how the characters finally got their desired transformation or the transformation they needed to fit the story Mm -hmm. yeah but i do i do think the these good for her endings are going to be divisive but I don't think that has to be part of it. I think it just naturally comes with it. So I guess that would be my response to your question. But I think what also happens with the Good For Her universe is that I think some people don't realize that, you know, not every film, not every character in the film are going to be, you know, good people. Mm-hmm. Not every single protagonist in a film has to be a good person. So I think also the controversies that come with the Good For Her universe is how, you know, people expect certain characters, especially women, to be, like, the good person, like, the one to take the moral high ground cool and all girl. that. Cool girl. So when they... The cool girl. That's not, quote, the cool girl monologue right now. I know, and I can't quote it, but let's not do that right now. You know, everyone has their morally gray moments, and also the world isn't, like black and white in terms of what's good and what's bad as clear some people want to want you to believe that you know oh this is good and this is bad there's always a gray area it doesn't work like that so i think it's kind of like that expectation that every every protagonist has to be a good person and seeing them commit something that is you know not good and makes you question your morals then you're like no this is wrong 
It's like, for example, I don't, again, I don't agree with Amy Dunn and Gone Girl, but I respect. <laughs> I respect the effort. I respect the hustle. Nah, I'm the opposite. I'm like, yeah, that's Marjorie. <laughs> I don't know. I, I just saw that movie yeah. and it's like, damn, like you really went the extra mile. It, like, I think the part that shocked me the most about Gone Girl was that she did it in that state because he would qualify for the death penalty. Like, damn, girl. Damn. Your morality yeah, is questionable really at the same time. You're like, you know what? I- I'll let it slip. <laughs> I was impressed. Why do you think audience root for these characters despite the ending not being a conventional happy one? Yeah, yeah. I, I think it's the catharsis. Like, I'm, I did mention that at first. Um, I took the roundabout way of saying it, but I did end up. Meant, I do think at, at the end, it's the catharsis you feel when you go on that entire journey with the character. And when a story is very well written and everything flows perfectly and you can really get into the movie, at the end, you're like, <laughs> this was a wild ride. And I'm here for it. Yeah, I think it's also. Also, how, you know, in most of these films, from the beginning, it is established, you know, that the woman is in a certain predicament that is bad for Mm -hmm. her. Mm -hmm. And you're kind of like, come on, that you want her to get out of it somehow. Like, you don't know what she's going to do, but you want her to get out of it and, you know, heal and do whatever she needs to do to, like, live her life. And, you know, again, the films don't present this as black and white it's just gray so you know they take the routes that you wouldn't take as a person with a moral compass I I think it's it mostly boils down to you know seeing to that you know the liberation and the escape of whatever the situation was yeah and I also think people shouldn't take it literally because for example going Mm -hmm. back to Midsommar Nobody wants her oh, to yeah. join a neo-pagan cult. <laughs> We're just happy that she had her little moment. <laughs> We're happy that she got rid of the toxic boyfriend. Yeah. yeah. And she got to be she got to be queen for I a mean, moment. Saying- Honestly, thinking about it, it is the first time that you see her smile like throughout the whole film. So, so you're like kind of happy for yeah, her, even smiles. though the ending is not exactly that happy and now we'd like to take a moment to talk to you about our sponsor anchor the easiest way to make a podcast now lastly to end this episode what are some characters that you think are in the good for your universe and why so to start off one what are some characters that you think are in the universe so I actually never specified what kind of good for her universe films I enjoy. And I actually enjoy more the horror and the slasher film, good for her universe films. Because I feel there are so many great and legendary characters that apply. Mm-hmm. You know, just to name a few. Sydney Prescott from Scream. Laurie Strode, Halloween, I think has some good for her elements. Aaron from Your Next. Tree from Happy Death Day. <laughs> Carrie from her self-titled album, Carrie. <laughs> The two characters I'll be discussing are from horror films. One was actually my introduction to the Good for Her universe, and I saw it way back when it re- originally released in 2009 called Jennifer's Body and Ready or Not. So I'm going to start with Ready or Not. It was released in 
2019, directed by Matt Bettinelli Open and Tyler Gillette. Um, they're going to be the directing duo on the upcoming Scream movie, which, as you know, I cannot wait for. Excited is an understatement, and I hope they deliver. I have a good feeling. But anyways, if you haven't seen Ready or Not, I highly recommend it. It's on HBO Max. So this movie is about a girl named Grace, played by Samara Weaving, who marries this guy. She doesn't know much about his family, and she finds out that on the wedding night, they're supposed to play a game. Little does she know, this game like involves her possibly being murdered by her in-laws. And she has to play hide-and-seek in a huge, but also gorgeous, mansion. And, you know, avoid being murdered. So this is perhaps, in my opinion, one of the worst ways to spend your wedding night. Like, you're supposed to party, drink, consummate the marriage, and this girl is running for her actual life because, again, her in-laws are literally trying to kill her for a twist, which I'm not going to spoil. Um, The only person who I think has it as bad as Grace here on her wedding night is Bella from Breaking Dawn Part 1, because, you know, she probably told Edward, look, break my back like a chiropractor would, and all he heard was break your back. (laughs) Like, sorry if I leave you paralyzed, babe, but, you know, I listened. So... Yeah, here's why I love Grace from Ready or Not. I feel she's relatable as a character. It's so easy to want to root for her because you're like, oh, it's the, it's the girl getting married and she's going to find out what's going on with her in-laws. And then you get this bomb dropped on top of it and it's like, whoa, she didn't sign up for this. You, I need her to get out of this. Like, no, not this. And, you know, for example, she decks a kid for shooting her with a bullet going through her hand. First of all, go off, queen. You know, she she was kind to him. That little shit wouldn't have made it if he did that to a Boricua. Let's be honest. And she has a very powerful image, which is like an important still of the movie when she holds this gun. It's like a really long shotgun, I think it was. And she has like ammo strapped to her wedding dress and she has the converse on and it breaks the pattern of what you normally see as a bride on a wedding day or someone prepared to go to war. And I think that's really just such a great choice for the character because she's basically like defying all expectations of what was supposed to happen and what people would expect to happen to her. I mean, for God's sake, she tried to escape in a car and yells at the guy on the car support line named Justin. Yeah. Like that scene was hysterical because he was he was just trying to follow protocol. And she literally tells him, people are trying to kill me. Call the the police. (laughs) And he's like, oh, hold on. The car is still, I'm going to have to power it down. And then the worst thing of all, he says, is there anything else I can do for you today, ma'am? Like, when did you help? I would have said, like, you know what? (laughs) No. But then she said what I would have said, which was, you know what? You can go fuck yourself, Justin. Like, I... I just laugh because it's like, you know what? She's handling it the same way I would, reacting the same way I would. And I feel a lot of people connected with her for that same reason because they saw parts of themselves in her Mm -hmm. and what she does. She does some pretty brutal shit. And every step of the way, you're like, go off, queen. And then speaking of words, towards the end, um, you know, the end after the repercussions of that plot twist happens, you know, what I love is here, I'm going to just detail the ending a bit. She throws her ring at the guy and says, you know what? I want a divorce. And, you know, if you've seen the movie, you know what happens next. Not spoiling it, because then I give away what happens, and it's a really great plot twist. 
And she goes outside. The house is burning down. That broke my heart because that house is gorgeous. But, you know, the house is burning down. Her entire wedding dress is now red instead of white. Like, she's covered in more blood than Carrie was at her prom. And the first thing she does is she sits on the stairs and she smokes a cigarette, which loved the tribute to Heather's. That's a very nice tribute to Heather's Mm -hmm. when it comes to uh, resembling Veronica in that moment. And the first thing the cop was like, Jesus Christ, what happened to you? And all she could say was, (laughs) she takes a puff and she's, in laws. That's iconic. And she does look at the camera, like Josie said. And, you know, like, also, like Anna said, to reference back to that, to finish with Ready or Not, she had nothing else left to lose towards the end. So she was like, you know what? I'm going to do what I got to do. And I'm going to show the girls what they should have Yeah, because she... Yeah, she didn't have a family, and all she wanted was a family. She was an orphan, and then in Mm -hmm. the end, she's like, fuck your family. Yeah, literally. That's literally her line. (laughs) I adore that movie. I think it's probably my favorite in the Good for Her universe. I think it's a must-watch if you're a horror fan. And it's relatable when it comes to Samara Weaving's character, so it's a really good fit, in my opinion, with that universe. And the second one I chose is from a movie, which is my first introduction, Jennifer's Body, to the Good For Her universe. Came out in 2009, directed by Karen Kusama. Um, I own this movie on Blu-ray, just like Ready or Not, and both excellent purchases, in my opinion. And if you haven't seen Jennifer's Body, you know, choices. Stop calling me but, out. But, you know, if, I, if you can call me out on Midsummer in therapy, I can call you out on this. I think that's fair. <laughs> so anyways, in case you're like Gabriela and you haven't seen it, so the plot of this is... So a newly possessed cheerleader turns into a killer um, who goes after her male classmates and it's up to her best friend to stop her. So this has, it has a twist to it, which again, I can't reveal without spoiling the movie. You see the trailer, you know what's going on. But I don't think you should see the trailer. First off, I adore this movie. It was as great as I remembered. I think it has some iconic lines that I was surprised I could still quote. Like the dialogue here, it has some really good moments and, and there are people saying, yeah, it has some cringe moments, but to be honest, that is literally criticizing how Tina just talked during high school. Like, that's basically saying, you never did that, yet we've all been there. We've all said things that we need to hear, like, oh my god, remember when you used to say this? And you're like, oh god, I did that? Like, young, he was young, they were young, we were naive, you know, we didn't know any better. Um, when it comes to Good For Her, this film, people normally think, oh, Megan Fox did example of good for her in this film right because she's killing boys as example in the halsey song killing boys thanks to josie for introducing me to the album manic which again speaks to the cultural impact this movie had like you have megan fox's best performance a soundtrack that slaps you have bisexual representation you have literally this this was the sample from killing boys it's in the beginning dialogue is you're killing people no i'm killing boys Boys are just placeholders. They come and they go. You're my best friend. And I want to help here's you. Here's the thing. But I won't let you kill again. That film. That's a lose-lose. It would make such a cultural impact. We need people. If you haven't seen it, watch it now. <laughs> it would have made an impact. I still think it yeah, made an impact. My, my thing is that I, I was too young to really notice if it made an impact. But if it were to come out now, it just has so many themes that i'm pretty sure that people will be quoting left and right there i mean i have a whole dialogue here sweetheart i have it written in my notes i literally quoted this scene but it's towards the 
end of the phone. It's really great. I think I learned how to read people thanks to that scene. And the back and forth between Megan Fox and Madisafi. I mean, again, fantastic. So back to the good for her aspect. Normally people think it's Jennifer. That's the good for her because she's killing boys. And your first assumption is, oh, maybe they did something to her. But here's the thing. With Jennifer, she's not killing boys because they did something wrong to her. I feel like if that were released now, I feel like that would be the twist. An additional one. And it would work. But here, it's because of what happened to her during after the dive bar incident. She has to kill them because she gets weaker. So I believe the real good for her aspect here is Needy, Amanda Seyfried's character, um, because she has more of a good for her redemption arc towards the end. You know, when she takes revenge on the reason all of these things happened to her and her town of Devil's Kettle. Like, yeah, you root for Jennifer to, like, kill the boys because it's like, you know what? Maybe they did do something wrong. Maybe you have to give it to her and we just don't know about it. But in terms of looking at it from a critical perspective, Mm -hmm. I feel Needy is more the good for her because she was trying to defend her best friend. She was looking out for her. When she finds out what happens to her in the bedroom scene, you can tell that she was not only heartbroken about what happened, but she was angry because, one, she did leave her friend behind with low shoulder, the band, and maybe she takes responsibility of this these killings happening because... She feels like, well, if I would have been there, maybe this wouldn't have happened. Or maybe if I would have told her, get in the car, let's just go somewhere else, this wouldn't have happened. She has a little bit of that guilt, so she wants to fix that. But also, she's angry at what Low Shoulder did to Jennifer. Again, twist. I'm trying to like separate the twist from it. It's such a good twist. I'm being. She has more reasons to be angry about things. And she wants to make things right. So you do root for her because she tried at one point to research everything of what was going on. She literally Mm -hmm. went to the occult section of her high school library. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, she was also trying to protect her boyfriend from Jennifer that she has made in the movie. She makes some advances on indirecta, Mm -hmm. but también directa, indirecta. And she didn't want him to suffer the same fate that some of the other guys have already suffered. And overall, I think both of these films are iconic. Both of them are great. Both are great introductions. And yeah, the power of women, y'all. <laughs> yeah, I just wanted to mention that this film actually, I think, debuted at the Toronto. Yeah, it premiered at the Toronto International Film Festival. I knew I had taste. <laughs> Which I find very interesting. I just want to say... Jennifer's body was ahead of its time. It, it is. Really That's what was. I'm getting to. It was. It was actually <laughs> declared a feminist horror film around 2018 because of the Me Too movement. Again, that soundtrack. I literally, I was singing the songs and I was watching this. I still knew the words to some of them. Like, you have Panic at the Disco, Florence and the Machine, uh, on the same album, and you have iconic songs like "I'm Not Gonna Teach You How to Dance," um, "New in Town." <laughs> You had uh, Chew Me Up and Spit You Out, The Cobra Starship. Like, you have a really good soundtrack here. It's yeah, it was really great. Yeah. Sometimes 2009 you just go... and 2010 were, like, good years for music. Yeah, like, sometimes you just want to go back and listen to 303 or New Perspective and just vibe for a bit and be like, remember when life wasn't, like, that bad? 
So, Josie, tell us about what characters do you think are the good for her universe and why? So, I would like to throw into the ring uh, Ripley from Alien 1979. Yes. Um, yes. If yeah. you don't know what Alien is, which I'm not going to assume everyone has seen it, but just in case (laughs) in space no one can hear you scream during its return to the earth commercial spaceship nostromo intercepts a distress signal from a distant planet when a three-member team of the crew discovers a chamber containing thousands of eggs on the planet a creature inside of one of those eggs attacks an explorer the entire crew is unaware of the impending nightmare set to descend upon them when the alien parasite planted inside its unfortunate host is birthed. So essentially, alien is a metaphor for rape culture, and that is another thing we see a lot in the Good for Her universe. And we stand <laughs> Ripley because yes. it is—it's one yes. of the ultimate horror films. Again, there's nothing like in space; no one can hear you scream. That is iconic, and. To see the journey of all these people going through this film and also to think that Ripley was originally supposed to be a man and then being a woman. I mean, it's the most iconic character ever and everyone will say it. She is a feminist icon. Yes. So it's a journey weaver. It definitely has rights in the good for her universe. Because she always has rights. She takes control of the situation and even though she is clearly she does not have the upper hand she still manages to get it like she actually gets it for herself and manages to survive i think what i love most about about alien i mean i love alien and i two things always stand out to me the first one is had they listened to her had they listened to her, she was like, yo, that, that's kind of sus. He needs to quarantine. <laughs> that's kind of sus. No, he'll be fine. We're breaking protocol here. No, he'll be fine. He was not fine. And almost all of them died. Mm-hmm. And the second thing that mm-hmm. I lose my mind every single time I watch this movie is that the cat, her cat, Jonesy, he just lets her pick him up and put him in the carrier to keep him safe and he survives like what kind of cat is that because my cat could never <laughs> the one that has rights because my cat like she would just look at me and be like you are not picking me up right now and I would be like you are going to die if I don't pick you up then I will die like that's just <laughs> I and, and I would die with her because come on but I just, I lose my mind every time. That freaking cat, I, I just, it's stupid, but I just love that cat and that he survives. Like, good job, really, Scott, for not killing the cat. I would have cried. Yeah, and that's <laughs> the thing that, well, you might notice when watching the film that some people point out that she's the one that survives because of her determination to care for something other than herself, for care, to care for that cat and make sure that it survived. But also another detail I wanted to touch upon is the aspect of intimacy in that final scene where the alien is just watching her after she's undressed. And it also explores that aspect of the good for her universe where that also plays into Jennifer's body, where um, women are often sexualized and these films take that back. 
they yeah. take control of how woman is supposed yeah. to be represented in like a camera there is no male gaze there is only yeah. a female capture of what a woman should be and how they should act and not what they're expected to be from a male perspective yeah i really like that about, about alien the lack of the male gaze mm-hmm. which you wouldn't like i don't know i think we're so used to you know the male gaze being in those types of films that when it isn't it's very surprising mm-hmm. especially in the time that it was made it was in this like 1979 yeah yeah so yeah I, I totally yeah i really love that aspect of alien i mean i love it alien it's one of my favorite movies like especially aliens i like the second one a lot and my second option is adelaide wilson and red like i'm gonna include both of them from us the 2019 jordan peele film and if you haven't seen it uh watch yourself (laughs) husband and wife gave an adelaide wilson take their kids to their beach house expecting to unplug and unwind with friends but as night descends their serenity turns to tension and chaos when some shocking visitors arrive uninvited the reason i chose this film is again iconic final shot when she's looking at the camera and you're like yes (laughs) good for her (laughs) so the thing with this film is that i chose it because again She takes control of her life, and both of them did the same thing, but they each got different results from it. Mm -hmm. That is an interesting perspective to analyze when looking at this film, because who exactly are we rooting for? Who are we happy that this happened? At one point, I was like, well, dang, we rooted for the wrong person, or did we? (laughs) So I like that that one especially makes me question everything when I finish the film. It really did. And even yes. then, I couldn't tell who I wanted to survive at the end. Exactly. Like, who are we supposed to root for? I don't know who to root for. I want to talk to Jordan Peele and ask him, hey, hey, what's up? Um, who are we supposed to be happy for? Because I'm very conflicted right now. I still don't know. Yeah. I feel like his answer would be like, you know what? That decision is based on your morals. And you're like, that's not the point. Estoy confundida. <laughs> And especially when the kid lowers his mask, just accepting that, hey, my, my mom did that. Like, he immediately knows that his mom is not the same anymore. And she's lost that everything that she gained because she was living. Okay, sorry. Spoilers ahead. She was living underground and then she's able to join this family and be a normal, quote unquote, person. And then in the end, she reconnects with that. Uh, she's she regresses back to that kind of untamed side that she had at the beginning of the film um and that we see in those flashbacks so she the other one she's the other way around she manages to she's taken away from her life and then she finally gets to be free and then it's taken all away from her after planning for so long so again questioning and moral so good for her but good for who Almost? like who, who are we supposed to yeah root i for? think that's what makes this film very interesting because who exactly are we supposed to be happy for it probably is the only one that knows the secret and he's gonna keep that secret forever i think that's what makes this film 
a perfect addition to the good for her universe because the child is us as the viewers we immediately find out that things are not as they seem but we're like you know what i'm gonna roll with it i'm gonna see how this plays out so you've heard us previously talk about this film and our constant argument about how it's pronounced and it's the vavitch so for those of you who don't know what it's about <laughs> it's about a family in in 1630s new england who move with their five children to the woods and they start to experience some mysterious encounters could they be supernatural are they imagining it we don't know so this film stars Anya Taylor-Joy, whom many might know now as the Queen's Gambit. <laughs> but anyway, this film is very interesting. I love this film because, you know, you spend the entire movie not knowing what's going on. And, you know, it's obviously like the, like the title suggests. You know, there's a witch involved somehow. And what happens is that when, you know, spoiler alert, all of the children start dying one by one. And the parents blame Thomason, who's the eldest. And they're like, you're a witch. You're a witch. You're doing this to your, to your siblings. You're killing them. You are cursing the farm and all of this. And they spend the entire movie blaming her for everything that's going on. And then it turns out that at the end, there actually was a witch. And Thomason is left alone because Black Philip kills her parents she's left alone so she decides to embrace what everyone thought her to be and go into the woods and live with the witches and you know what good for her and honestly like that scene with where you know they reveal that black philip was actually the devil all along i love that scene it gives me the creeps every time i love it unlike other good for her universes because Tom- thomason doesn't do the actions directly like, she's just there. and She's being blamed for everything. She doesn't do anything. She's not killing her siblings. She didn't kill her parents. She was just there. And things happen. And she's like, oh, well, I guess I'll go live with the witches in the woods now. It's, yeah, it's not a happy ending. I feel, you know, the the ending is very similar to Midsommar's in a way. Because you see her smile, too, for the first time in the entire film. And see, like, the release of, you know, the of the liberation of their past life. Because, like, Thomason's family, they were Puritans. You know, they were very, very religious. And it was a very, you know, restrictive lifestyle. They were waiting for her to come to a come of age to marry her off. So, you know, it was a very restrictive lifestyle that she was living. So, you know, at the end, her joining the witches in the woods... It was liberating for her. So, my next pick is my favorite Sofia Coppola movie, and that is The Beguiled. Not the original one, it is the 2017 remake by Sofia Coppola, which is the superior one. Like, the remake is better than the original, I'm just saying. For those of you who don't know, this film takes place during the Civil War. And it is about a group of women that live in a school for girls. You know, the teachers and the girls. And, you know, it's just them because obviously all the men are fighting in the war. 
So it's been just them for like the past couple of years. And one day they come across this injured Confederate soldier. And, you know, they feel bad for him. So they decide to help him. And his presence in the house, you know, him being the first man that they encounter in so long, creates tension. And, you know, not many people talk about this film to be part of the good for her universe, but I'm going to make my arguments as to why it is good for her. So, you know, they have this man and, and he's played by Colin Farrell, right? So he's good looking. <laughs> and the cast is Nicole Kidman, Kirsten Dunst. Elle Fanning, so, you know, there's like the really well-known actors involved. And so, you know, they take care of him and then they all are like, oh, oh my god, like the, he kind of cute. He <laughs> So they all start to kind of like crush, even the younger kids are like, I've never seen a man before. So they're just like fascinated. And what I really love about this film is how, you know, it turns the object of the how Josie mentioned how women are sexualized and objectified in films. This one turns it around and it objectifies him. And so yeah, it creates a lot of tension. And the breaking point of this film is when basically he kind of starts seducing Nicole Kidman, who's like the headmistress of the school. He kind of hints that he wants to be with her, right? And he's like, I'm gonna visit your room later tonight. And she's like, Cool. <laughs> And he doesn't go to her room. Instead, he goes to the room of, like, the 15-year-old. Then he get he, like, his injuries get worse. And he gets really aggressive. He creates a very hostile environment and threatens to kill them all. And you know what Nicole Kidman does? She poisons him. That's it. Good for her. So that is The Beguiled by Sofia Coppola. It's on HBO Max. Please watch it. And yes, good for her. Anna, take us home. What are your two characters? So the first film that I choose that it has a character that's from the Good For Her universe is The Love Witch. It's a comedy horror romance. And it's about a modern-day witch uses spells and magic to get men to fall in love with her with deadly consequences. Honestly, with that pitch, what else could I say? <laughs> <laughs> so, Aileen is a witch that basically she embodies uh, a woman that has suffered from the consequences of men. Like she, So she was cheated on and because she was cheated on, she suffered a lot that she basically kind of killed his her husband. And afterwards, she began to go to a... After she kills her husband, she, becomes a, she becomes a witch and she starts to seduce men because she wants to feel loved. But at the same time, every time they, that a man comes to her life, she... At the end of the day, he's dead. So a thing that I loved about this movie is that it plays with the male gaze that you no longer, it's not the female, it's the male. The male is the center of the attention in a way that he's the one that suffers everything that woman has suffered before. 
And honestly, just seeing a character that in the beginning of the film had this catharsis that, yes, um, she got away from her husband, she became a witch, and now she is seducing men to love her, but at the same time, but at the end of the day, they do die. It's kind of her revenge in a way. But at the same time, she does want it, wants to feel love. Again, from the beginning of the film, it is stated that she has suffered. It's just a character that we see her do reckoning from men. And I don't know, I just kind of find that kind of fascinating and a very... It is stated from the director that it is a feminist statement. And you know what? I good for her, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> with with emphasis, good for her. Good for her, you know. So the next film, I don't know if I have talked about it in the like in the podcast before, but it's called The Handmaiden, directed by Park Chan Wook, and it's about a woman is hired as a handmaiden to a Japanese heiress, but secretly she is involved in a plot to defraud her. I'm just gonna say that. It's in the good for her universe because, spoiler alert, at the end of the day, these two women, they fall in love, they go together, and they plot against men that had obviously abused her or ruined her life. So in a way, it's, it is a revenge story, and I feel that it's in a good for her universe because you know what? They two fall in love together, and these two women happy. <laughs> good for her, or good for them, it's two of them. Good for them. Good for them because he, like the guys suffer the consequences and they don't get what they wanted. But also, I think also another film that also kind of like The Handmaiden, Thelma and Louise. I was thinking about it earlier, but since we could only pick two, I I didn't mention it. But ah, that is like the blueprint. <laughs> that is the blueprint because I mean you have a revenge story, but you also have like. Again, going back to Alien, how you deal with uh, rape culture and surviving an assault. And then in the end, again, you have that moment where they do get away with something, but they lose themselves completely. Mm-hmm. So perfect for the good for her universe. That is like the blueprint. Good for them. Yes. If you've made it by this point and you've taken a shot every time we've said good for her or good for them, you're a trooper <laughs> and not just a trooper. A super trooper. Hit it, Abba. That's all for today's episode. We'd like to thank you for listening and to give a shout out to all the kind people sending love our way. If you'd like to keep up with us, make sure to follow us at Film Posers on Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, and TikTok. Where can they find you, posers? So you can find me on Twitter at Gabby underscore Burgos 27 and on Instagram at GabbyCristina27 and on Letterboxd at GabbyCristina. So you can find me on Twitter and Instagram with Anna underscore Sofia53 and on Letterboxd, Anna underscore Sofia. On Letterboxd, you can find me at Leading Mohicans on Twitter at Leader of Mohicas and on WordPress on my blog, Reinventor of a Lost, Reinvention of a Lost Writer. And you can find me everywhere as at the Josie Marie. <laughs> Again, thank you for listening. And remember, we're all film posers. Bye. 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 Bye.